Hello, welcome to Outside World Occultism. I'm Katya, and with me today are JT. Hello. Me. Hi. F. Hello. And Lavander. Hello. Today's episode is about curiosities of Lotus Asia, but before we get into that, there's some exciting news, which is Toho 17.5 has been announced, and it's not a fighter like we were kind of expecting. It is still a Tassifro game. It's like this strange action game. I admit, I haven't actually had time to play it yet. Honestly, hot take. It reminds me of Kirby with mostly being an action game, but being a platformer in heavy air quotes. Yeah, it has like platformer bosses without the platformer levels for the most part. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a Momodora type action game, but it seems to just really be sort of boss encounters, which is a really interesting way to do it. I'm kind of disappointed, but it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, At the same time, this is definitely a franchise that has lived and died on its boss fights since the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's not a fighter, and obviously the fighters have some upsides, but on the other hand, I think that not having to be like symmetrical and bound to the like fighting game engine lets them do some more interesting things with it too. Yeah, it lets them not balance all of the bosses, basically, as playable characters, which I think is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were sort of already doing that in Antinomi. Shout out to Super Saiyan Shion (laughs) and her vortex of bullshit that I still have. And I mean, the spell cards to begin with were kind of a shortcut to the whole fighting game balance thing. Yeah. But I think it fits better in this sort of style, nonetheless. Yeah, the single-player modes of the earlier Tassofro games felt like they were being crammed into an engine built for a fighting game. Especially immaterial and missing power. I mean, the example I would use for that as an analogy is... It's like how Bethesda keeps making everything in the engine for Morrowind. God, <laughs> it just works. It's the same sort of feeling of... I'm playing a game and I'm enjoying it, but there's something a little bit off. There's just this uncanny valley. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of the engine, people were definitely thinking that they were going to have to do another switch up after Antinomi, since they had the first one for the previous fighting games and then the new one for Hopeless Masquerade Forward. But mm-hmm. I don't think this is what they expected. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, I really like the art style and the sprite work in this game. Yeah, it's adorable. Yeah, it's a very beautiful art style. And it's the like talk sprites and stuff are done by Tokiyame, who previously did, what was it, Cajun Lunatic Runigate or something? Yeah, I think. I believe so. So somebody who's worked with official Toho content before, and it just looks really nice. Shout out to Yugi having different hair every time she appears. <laughs> Fan artists take note. <laughs> Yeah, she and, trying new styles. And I like how people are like tagging Yugi in a kimono as a spoiler because it's not a spoiler until you call it one. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's been in that outfit before. Yeah, it's been around since Subterranean Animism, I think, in the promo. Oh, really? I thought the first time it appeared was in the background in Hopeless Masquerade. No, she was like in like a promo art thing. It looks a lot better in Hopeless Masquerade, though. That's my hot take. <laughs> Because uh, I think the promo art was Alphes. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Alphes, but I'm... <laughs> if Tasufro is Todd Howard, Alphes is uh, Shiro Masamune. <laughs> uh, Ghost in the Shell fame. I really hope that they do come out with an actual English title for the next game. Yeah, that would be nice. 
We can call it Goyoku until then. There's a decent chance that the Goyoku part wouldn't be translated anyway since it's actually a proper name. So in that sense, it kind of works as a name anyway. It's pretty much convention to call Hiso Tensoku just Soku yeah. in conversation. The whole UNL thing has sort of come and gone. That was ridiculous. I mean, that was just people pulling stuff out of their ass is what it was. <laughs> Shout out to Toho Wiki. I mean, valiant effort. valiant effort. We'll roast you. <laughs> please come on the podcast, Toho Wiki. Please explain <laughs> your editing choices. Toho Wiki going oh well. That's going to be a big one. You have so much penance to do. That's just open at any time. Just hack Discord and crash this call right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, open letter to Toho Wiki uh, staff moderation decision makers answer for your crimes please they still need to answer for the dragon god fiasco god (laughs) God. don't forget marisa leaving home because she didn't want to get married oh god what i didn't even hear about that one marisa left home because she did want to get married to a shrine maiden yes Um, that's one that's just like straight up a dojin plot that was on marisa's character page for like five years it literally is okay I'm pretty sure it's still there, right? It is, actually. It's still there. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Okay, nobody who listens to this podcast, change it unless you're a Toho Wiki admin and then agreeing to come on this podcast, <laughs> because this is a long, an ongoing science experiment of mine. To see how long just a completely made-up fact will sit on one of the most important pages of the Toho Wiki before someone there organically calls them on it. <laughs> Probably never. I'm mm. pretty sure that Kassen's page doesn't have anything past Wild and Horn Hermit 35 on it. Oh my god. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's worth noting that obviously a lot of the time we're referring to the wiki for like the transcripts of game dialogue and stuff like that, but... And for that, legitimately, the wiki is a very good source because it's compiled the official sources in one location. Yeah, yeah that's what... Re- Really nice. But anything on the wiki that isn't an original source. Including the translations. Yeah, the translations are usually, like, decent. They're just kind of choppy. They're okay, except they aren't going into this with the Toho set of assumptions, basically. Take TH crap over Toho wiki pretty much any time they're in conflict. Some people I know are, like, getting paid to retranslate parts of things for the wiki, and huge shout out to the people paying them and, (laughs) like, all that. Y'all are dope. I would gladly help you, but I have no money. Speaking of vast sources of dubiously accurate information, I do believe we actually have a topic this week. Indeed. Hang on. One final thing before we get cola. Um, I think we all have to put on a little bit of clown makeup for this episode because when we were talking about Wily Beast and Weakest Creature, we made the very bold claim that Zun was never going to expand on <laughs> or reveal um, the other gang leaders from Wily Beast and Weakest Creature. I already have my clown makeup on. Bold of you to assume I'm ever not wearing clown makeup. <laughs> It's heavily implied that Totetsu is going to be in 17.5. We're, we're just flat out wrong. Yeah, in case anyone missed it, the Goyoku in the title is the name of Totetsu's clan. Like word yeah. for word, country for country. So Since we've proven that Zun makes us look like clowns, Pierrot. I'm just going to say now that Kane is never going to come back or play a significant role in anything ever again, and that's tragic. Zun just won't bring her back. Yeah, yeah. tragic. Either. That's such a... <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway. We'll never see PC-98 remakes. And uh, just there's so much stuff that, that I'm completely certain of that Zun will never do. Where's Nima? <laughs> Um, anyway, Curiosities of Lotus Asia. So it's like a like a series of stories, I guess, that gets published in like different magazines over the years and currently gets published in Strange Creators of Outer World. And it's about men being stupid. <laughs> yes. So the framing of the original part of it is sort of conversations had between Rinosuke, who is a half-human, half-yokai shopkeeper, who just has like a weird curio shop halfway between the yokai forest and the human village, right? Yeah, the forest of magic and the human village. Yeah, so it's like a series of conversations between him and Reimu and Marisa, who are at this time in the story, they're, they're kind of bratty children, basically. I think the last one of these was published in 2007. Yeah. Rimu and Risa are basically kids in this one and they're very unimpressed with Rinosuke and all of his um, knowledge. To be fair, that's entirely valid of them. Yes. Yeah, they're pretty canny is what we take from that. <laughs> so <laughs> Rinosuke is like, first of all, he's like the only male character of like any importance in all of Toho. He's the only one with speaking lines. In Windows. He's the only man with speaking lines in Windows because Genji's a He's the only human man with speaking lines in Windows. The fortune teller has speaking lines, but that doesn't count. (laughs) The fortune teller doesn't exist. I said human. Memes aren't people. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he's basically the only one with a name, a face, and lines. All free. Yeah, he's like a fully realized character. He's not like a villain or anything. He's just a guy who owns a shop full of stuff that he can't bear to part with or throw away because he just loves to hoard garbage. And he spends all of his time sort of making assumptions about the world and being <laughs> yeah. very wrong all the time. He's basically your opinionated hoarder uncle, but perpetually in his early 30s. And... Somehow even more wrong about even more basic facts. But less racist, so shout out. Yeah. yeah. We're kind of dunking on Rinosuke pretty heavily, but I think we can all agree that we love him a lot. He's yeah. a good character. <laughs> yeah, he's a cool dude. The fandom has absolutely mangled him, but he's a cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's like half human, half yokai, whatever that means. Yeah, it never really explained. Whether he's some kind of, like, one of his parents was a yokai and one of his parents was a human is never explained. But, like, you can't really be, like, half human, half yokai, right? Like, you're either a human or a yokai. Like, there's not really... No, actually, it's perfectly mythologically normal to have people who are like that. Abe no Seme was also half human and half fox. Interesting. Yeah, especially with foxes, they tended to do a lot of marrying powerful humans and having kids. And I, I guess you could say Rinosuke is a silver fox. Yeah. Oh, God. You could, but you wouldn't. Okay, you say that, but Cannonball made him distressingly attractive, and that is like <laughs> worrying. <laughs> Take that as the opinion of the only person who is in any way peripherally into dudes on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not even generally speaking into dudes and I still agreed with you, so... That's very valid of you both. I guess there's precedence for <laughs> half-human, half-yokai stuff in Japanese folklore, but personally, I choose to believe that it's kind of a centaur situation. <laughs> <laughs> is his lower half a yokai? <laughs> yes. His upper half is human and his lower half is yokai, and he's some kind of mantor. He's got hooves. <laughs> 
No, he's got bird feet. I can't believe Rinosuke is the same species as Kanye West. (laughs) (laughs) Do you mean Lil Wayne? (laughs) Personally. Why has Rinosuke got socks on in the sauna? Was it Lil Wayne? It is Lil Wayne. (laughs) It was Lil Wayne. I apologize. I apologize, Lil Wayne, for attributing your meme to Kanye. I know nothing about hip hop other than what my brother plays in the car when he's driving. But I guess it was never mentioned because it wasn't relevant to, like, Remus' journey or something like that. Is anything relevant to Remus' journey except for how little sleep she gets? <laughs> Your love of girls. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did we even mention <laughs> that he has this weird power of being able to look at an item and see its name and use just magically? Yeah, his special ability is to just know what random objects are called and what they're for. Yeah. Which is useful for his hobby, which is collecting random junk that falls into Gensokyo from the outside world. It's interesting because him and Renko are basically two of the only early Windows characters that don't have ridiculous powers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Renosuke's power is ridiculous, but in a different way, right? Because his power doesn't tell you what something does. It's what something does as explained to you by, like, the drunken hosts of a comedy podcast specifically designed to explain things in the most deceptive way possible. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. So it's my brother, my brother, and me. (laughs) But explain it to me like I'm five. Yeah, Renosuke Renosuke just has the McElroys in his ba- in the back of his brain flipping through an encyclopedia and yeah. laughing. <laughs> That's the thing, it's not he doesn't actually get like some intrinsic understanding of things. It's like he's literally reading their descriptions in a game or something. He has an inventory menu. Yeah. He just gets a short line of explaining in weird terms how it works. And then he gets scared of a Game Boy. Yeah, like there's a chapter where he discovers a Game Boy and he is terrified by it because his ability tells him that it's used to like control people and create and destroy worlds and so on. And it's obviously, you know, video game worlds um, and video game people. But he, he... He doesn't understand that. And then Yukari steals it and he's terrified. I'm just going to get the general structure of the weekly Undertale joke out of the way. (laughs) Corin was ahead of the game in in 2007. Um, Oh. But yeah, so... I I, I didn't get it at all. It's the the Undertale's whole thing is the the game resetting and such having consequences for the people. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have an actual joke, but the reference fell to print. Okay, sure. (laughs) Telling telling of my sense of humor. Oh, I thought that one shot did that first. Oh, true, yeah. You better leave this in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of course. Uh, roasting my bad sense of humor <laughs> is, is an important part of any podcast. I so. thought you were specifically going to make a joke about Sam's Undertale so that I could put that <laughs> in our topic description like I do every you time. You just brought him up. You've fallen for my clever ploy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I have to put him in. <laughs> Renosuke is the Sans Undertale of Toho because he is just a dude who is staggeringly incompetent in what he's supposed to do, but he's actually rather competent at what he's not supposed to do. 
Yeah, so his main hobby consists of gathering junk and hoarding it in his store, which he doesn't actually enjoy selling things, and nobody buys stuff from him. Aside from Raymond and Marisa, who mostly don't pay him for the stuff that they take from his store anyway, and they kind of come by every once in a while to have a conversation with him, have some tea, and steal stuff. The first chapter is about Remu coming over because her skirt needs mending, which he takes care of, and also canonizes Blue Remu. Yeah, I mean, if by Blue Remu you mean Remu in Corinne's clothes. Yeah, he just gives her like one of his own outfits to wear while he fixes her clothes and it's blue. And... I like the headcanon that it's just his shirt, but she's so tiny because she's baby that it works as a dress. Yeah, I really like their dynamic, like Remu and Marisa's dynamic with Rinosuke, where they just, he spends all of his time just trying to be like so cool and smart and like impressive to them, which like, I don't think he does consciously, but I think it's like he tries to appear to other people as though he is sort of this like smart and cultured individual, but Remu and Marisa have zero respect for him. They don't care. They're... And they're valid. They spend most of their time either not listening to his like philosophical thoughts or dunking on him. And it's really good. It's really funny. Yeah, it is. The first chapter also establishes that Rinosuke is the kind of person to spend all his time reading like 12 volumes of a book series about advanced computer infrastructure while having no idea how computers actually work. Yeah. And still have no idea how computers actually work. Yeah. But he has a very well-developed... Wrong idea. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's just as valuable. Yeah. That pretty much sums him up, really. I'm a mathematician. <laughs> Modern AU Renosuke is absolutely a mathematics and philosophy student. Yeah, definitely. Who just sits outside the engineering building saying, but, you know, what if we, you know, change the, these basic physical constants of the universe and scaring all the engineers away? <laughs> Renko and Rinosuke death battle. <laughs> I think it's interesting that a lot of the like humans with special powers in Toho have kind of a, I mean, really broadly speaking, kind of similar sense to them. There's Corin's ability to see the properties of items. There's Kosuzu's ability to like read languages. There's Renko's ability to see the time and place by looking at the stars. There's something kind of broadly similar about about all of them. There's a friend of mine with a fan theory that Rinosuke and Kosuzu are descendants of time-traveling Renko and Maribel. Okay, sure. Oh, that's pretty galaxy brain. That's really something, but I think it's just most humans who have powers actually have really mundane powers. I mean, even Marisa just has the ability to use magic. Which is probably just a skill, really. Which anyone can do. For the most part. Yeah. All of these abilities are things that really, if you were skilled enough, they could just be skills. With Miko's ability to listen to ten conversations at once, because she had that as a human, too. Yeah. To Kosuzu's ability to read any language. It's just a shortcut to something that humans can naturally do. Yeah. And the, the theme of what I was kind of thinking of is that they're all about, like, comprehension in some sense. Yeah, actually all of them are, aren't they? Even Marisa's. That was the connection I was thinking of. But yeah, they're obviously, at the same time, they're all really mundane. They're all things that people can just normally do. They're just shortcuts to doing them. And then, in many ways, I think that is sort of thematically fits with the role of humans in Toho in general. Because it's not about 
what humans do to the world, it's it's much more important that they understand things a certain way. Yeah. And so humans and human adjacents with unusual abilities are defined in terms of these different perceptions of the world versus the usual sort of, you know, belief fountain yeah. of the village. Yeah. Well, I can think of one exception, though. Who's that? Sega, to bring back another recurring joke. Her, her ability is technically a skill, and that if you practice hard enough, you can, you know, just pass through walls by knocking holes in them. Yeah. But her ability is also about imposing stuff on the world, rather than understanding it. She's not a human, though. Well, human-ish. Yeah, Miko has more association with her human existence than Sega does. In particular, Miko's ability is not a hermit thing, it's a Miko thing. Yeah. Whereas... The other Taoists and... Like, Sega is human in the way that Byakarin is human. On the other hand, Sega's stated ability is just a magic item. It's basically the same as Marissa saying that her special ability is shooting lasers. <laughs> and remember, they are self-declared yeah, abilities. Precisely. Yeah. You could go for a thing that Sega's special ability is... Necromancy. Just to be really good at Taoism, but I don't think she has any special ability in general. She's just normal. Sega's special ability is getting away with all the shit she pulls off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's her true talent. Avoiding the nasty police. Sega's special ability is just being a little bastard. That's it. She cannot change this. Yeah. She's very slippery and never suffers consequences for her actions. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, speaking of magic items, it was kind of brought up that Renasuke is like really bad at his actual job, but at the same time really good at other things he does, like on the side. The most obvious is that he's able to make magic items. Yeah. Yeah, he, he made the mini Hakuro, for instance, Morris's Master Spark thing. Yeah. And he's able to work this super rare Hihirakane metal. I really like how you are taking this deep stuff out of a Sans Undertale joke. Still, look we've had sans undertale we've had sega so that's you know two shots in the oo drinking game that i'm sure someone will make after we post this so now all we need to do is hate on embodiment of scarlet devil (laughs) (laughs) Um. we'll think of something that's actually relevant though to our discussion about human characters and their abilities because if we look at sakuya who's technically human but is this very yokai-like human to the point that she's not... Like, her humanity is important to her in the sense that she chooses to retain it, but she's so set apart from the rest of the humans. Like, her and Sane are very distinct in this category because they're... They're basically human in air quotes. Yeah. They're they're not thematically human. And Sakuya in particular is not thematically human yet being fully physically human. And you can hate on Embodiment of Scarlet Devil for that. That's free. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... It... See, I think that actually works for her. Yeah, I know it does, but I'm joking here. I just think it is interesting that Sanai is a god, too, whereas Sakuya just does that. Yeah, it kind of adds to her, like, general kind of random tendencies, which are also, like, on good display in (laughs) Cola. You want to make a thesis on Sakuya's impact on lol random culture? (laughs) No, please. I can't believe Sakuya was the third Cicerga sibling all along. The origin theory that none of us expected. (laughs) 
Well, we do know that Sakuya isn't her original name. I do appreciate that, like, all JoJo references aside, Sakuya hasn't actually renounced her humanity. Yeah, that is... it is really nice. I think that Cola has one of my favorite, like, establishing moment for her as a person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she is great in Cola. Yeah. She's fantastic. Long story short, she comes to the shop to buy a broken teacup because uh, Romelia broke one of Remus teacups, I think. And yes. said that, Sakuya, go buy a similar one. <laughs> no, go buy one just yeah. like this. And then she goes and buys... A broken teacup. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the end, she kind of ends up doing some magic tricks with it, but... Yeah, she ends up stealing the unbroken one and replacing it after being thoroughly corrected by Remelia. Yeah. The whole idea of her, like, whether it's intentional or not, whether she's trolling or actually thinking that... I think that Zakia is very... I think I will cause problems on purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sakuya is the dick-ass game master. The players run into a genie and every experienced member in the group winces when the new guy wishes for something very broad and very easily misinterpreted. Oh, no. Sakuya being human is good because her with any kind of reality warping power would turn into like a Q episode from the next generation. She does basically have a reality warping power. Imagine Sakuya as Sagume. <laughs> oh god. Oh, I don't want to think about it. I mean, <laughs> that is literally just a Q episode at that point. Yeah, but I mean, she can literally already warp reality. Yes, but she can only do it in small doses, so it doesn't make everybody go absolutely insane. She doesn't change how things work, she just moves things around a bit. Fair. To talk more about Cola, one of what I think the big strengths of it is, it has a stationary setting in ways that none of the other official Toho manga really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the fairies manga. Yeah, even the fairies, they're going everywhere making mischief. And Forbidden Scrollery is, you know, bouncing between three or four locations. Wild and Toned Hermit is all over. Silent Sinner in Blue is a 90s road trip movie. <laughs> <laughs> Rinosuke isn't going out looking for adventure. He's He just wants to be left alone. <laughs> he wants to stay in his shop until he runs out of food and then encounter no one going to and from the grocery store. He doesn't even eat, really. <laughs> My favorite Renosuke ship is Renosuke slash Peace and Quiet. Yeah, he's a very, very boring man. Like, he just wants to be left alone. He wants to sit at home and look at his piles of garbage and think about what they all mean. Modern AU Renosuke teaches philosophy all day to classes of, like, ten students, and then he goes home and watches... Netflix shows that are extremely boring, and that's it. <laughs> he wears sweatpants the whole time. He doesn't watch Netflix shows. He's one of those dudes who, like, watches YouTubers, and, like, he has a, a very long, sassy remarks to YouTubers oh, channel God. that no one watches. <laughs> that's the energy I get from him. Hey, yeah, he definitely watches YouTube philosophers. So, aside from the chapters where Rinosuke just kind of gets dunked on, not only by Ray and Marisa, but also various other visitors to the shop, and also just sometimes the narration or reality. Sometimes other people get dunked on too. The narration is kind of like, I know there's the fan theory that sort of like puts the narration as being Yukari's perspective, and then she sort of glosses over when she's in screen. That's kind of silly though, because she hasn't even met him for most of it. But yeah. Most of the writing in Kola is from Reynosuke's perspective, like in first person. There's definitely a distinct narrator from him though, in some of the beginnings and endings, and that's usually the one that's dunking on yeah. him. Yeah. 
but I don't think it's compellingly Yukari. It doesn't have to be Yukari to dunk on Rinosuke. Yeah. I think it's just like... Narration. It's Zune. Zune is dunking on Rinosuke. Like in retrospective 53 minutes. Yeah, it's like the endings of the music CDs and stuff. We see these little bits of Zune perspective, and I think it's one of the more protracted versions of that. Yeah, one of my favorite like little bits of just life dunking on Rinosuke is in one of the later chapters, I think it might actually just be the last chapter um, of like the first part of Nicola. Um, sorry about the sirens. <laughs> Fuck the police. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did you do? I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Arrested for insulting embodiment of Scarlet Devil crimes. Yeah, you can't prove anything. I'm innocent. But so in chapter 27, Mechanism of Fortune, there's just this random line where Rinosuke brings a cup of tea to his lips and it's cold. Like he forgot that it was cold. And there's no reason to include this line except just to dunk on him. <laughs> it's just life dunking on Rinosuke for no reason. He does deserve it. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like the only person in Curiosities of Lotus Asia that doesn't dunk on Nesuke is possibly Yomu. Yomu, definitely, because she just shows up and is kind of... Dunked on. Yeah, she's very clueless, and she's maybe the most unfortunate person in all of Kola. <laughs> <laughs> She's just being sent around as punishment, and Rinosuke's like, Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, not even that. Like, he makes her like, do chores for him in order to recover the thing that she came for. I forget what it was. It was like a ghost lantern thing. Yeah, the ghost lantern. Oh, right, a lantern. Yeah, Yomu's sort of too earnest to dunk on anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, and she, she cannot dunk. <laughs> she's, she's far too small. She's the only person that Rinosuke can <laughs> dunk on. Half ghosts can't jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other hand, Remu is the undunkable. Yeah, I think the other sort of component of Curiosities of Lotus Asia is, aside from these conversations where Rinosuke condescends and pontificates about stuff that he has no knowledge of whatsoever and makes like, really dumb assumptions, sometimes these are one and the same, but there are also these very deep, lore-heavy conversations about Gensokyo and the nature of their reality. The fact that he's scared of a lot of women. <laughs> Yes. Just a lot of very, like, lore-heavy stuff going on in Ola, which is really nice. Like, I think it might be one of the most lore-heavy print works, actually. Honestly, probably this and Cajun Lunatic Renegade. Which is telling because those are the two with the same format, too. Yeah. Yeah, if you take all the chapters together, isn't it, like, the longest prose thing that Sun has done? Yes. I think it might be. It's mm. quite long. Yeah. I think it's fast approaching the most amount of chapters, too, for anything. Yeah, and so the first part of Curiosity of Lotus Asia is these meetings with Remu and Marisa at the shop where they talk about stuff or whatever, and sometimes their conversations are wildly incorrect or make some wrong assumption about the world, but sometimes they are just them like sharing their own knowledge and information about the world. Sometimes they're fighting over who gets to cook dinner tonight. Yes, and sometimes they fight over who gets to cook dinner tonight. <laughs> Red miso. <laughs> Uh, what are you, some kind of communist? <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast? Heaven forbid. I mean, that's an actual line from that chapter. Marisa's baby. She doesn't know that capitalism is wrong. Yeah, they're not woke in Gensokyo yet at this point. Again, woke yo? <laughs> 
But so after this part of Cola ends, which it ended in like 2007, it got brought back in 2015 and is still ongoing to our knowledge. It's got Sumireka this time. It sort of had a shift, yeah, because Raymu and Marisa are now no longer rambunctious teens. And now we have a new rambunctious teen. Gensokyo has a new, even... Who's even stupider. Even dumber rambunctious <laughs> teen. <laughs> Sumireko starts showing up at Rinosuke's store. It becomes sort of less about philosophy about the nature of the world and all that, or like the secret meaning of Yukari's name, or like how Reimu's luck works, or anything like that. Which, I really love the chapter about Reimu's luck. It's mostly just about the outside world. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a cultural exchange where Sumireko learns about Gensokyo and its people and sort of a little bit about herself as well, while Rinosuke kind of learns more about the outside world. And there's some great moments in it where... So Rinosuke has a ton of just like outdated electronic junk, like computers and stuff from like the early 2000s or whatever, or the 90s. Definitely has a PC-98 in there somewhere. He mentions that he takes pride in like having the most advanced outside world technology in Gensokyo, and Sumireko is just like, no, this stuff's just like all super old junk, because, you know, she's like a Gen Z kid from the smartphone generation, and he's just absolutely crushed. I bet Sumireko owns an iPhone 11. More like Zumireko, am I right? (laughs) 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 And those are also really good and there's like another really good moment is when Rinosuke takes up smoking because he thinks it's like it makes him like super cool and classy and he's just sitting around smoking and be like you don't understand you're not on my level you don't understand how classy I am and Sumireko is just <laughs> I mean, like Sumireko is just like oh you know that's going out of favor in the outside world right? It's really disgusting and it just deeply deeply embarrasses Rinosuke on the spot Sumireko just walks up to Rinosuke and furiously vapes <laughs> I mean, you think he'd know that by definition everything he gets is going to be old with the electronics and stuff. Are you attributing brain cells to Minosuke? Because <laughs> that's a dangerous path. Sometimes you don't have a brain cell, and that's okay. And to be fair, some of the stuff that he gets is from Muenzuka, and you end up with a lot of recently dropped outsider junk there, too. He probably just thinks the old stuff is cooler and more high-tech. I mean, that's true. The best keyboard ever was made in the 80s. Yeah, if I recall correctly, there was a bit where he was like, it was either him or maybe Marisa or something. Oh, no, it was Marisa. She wanted the biggest, chunkiest computer. Yeah, she was interested in the computers. Obviously, it didn't have electricity or like any way to power it, but she picked the biggest one because she's like, it's the biggest one, so that means it's got to be the strongest, right? I wonder if she can work that computer nowadays, considering the Moria Shrine. That'd be interesting. She just has like an ancient like PC-98 somewhere. She opens it up and it just has highly responsive to prayers on it, but because <laughs> that doesn't have any dialogue, she doesn't think it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like the best possible thing to find on a random discarded PC-98. Yeah. <laughs> True! True! <laughs> oh my god. We're canonizing this. Marisa definitely has a PC-98 somewhere in her house that has highly responsive to prayers on it. <laughs> Luckily, it has highly responsive to prayers on it and not anything else. <laughs> Yeah, like, I really like that Sumireko is, like, a lot bolder about, like, she actually sort of embarrasses Rinosuke just to his face. Sumireko is funny because she's ruder than Rimu and Marisa, but she's 
from the outside world where you're not supposed to be rude. I wonder how many times she's gotten detention. (laughs) (laughs) I think she does view Gensokyo as sort of an escapist thing. And she's sort of like a, was a reasonable student in the outside world who's because like her whole persona is something she put on to get people to leave her alone yeah it's mentioned that she was quite popular i think she knows how to play the game as far as like the outside world authorities i think she's just like i'm in gensokyo now everyone here is a rude boy and i'm going to be queen rude of rude mountain i think she's just like well i don't have any consequences here i cannot be killed (laughs) you cannot kill Um, me in a way that matters (laughs) decay is an extant form of life god i love the chapter where she fully understands the fact that she was like replaced by a doppelganger and she's like oh that means i'm a yokai now isn't that cool (laughs) yeah i think that that's an amazing chapter you just get to see the true chunibyo essence of her Hmm. yeah it's really good. Also, her uniform in cola is really good. I like its design a lot. Yeah. The regular one is quite nice. I think the cola one looks really good. The cola one is very extra. In general, the designs in cola tend to be kind of unique compared to the like other media in the series. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's some oddities, but uh, for the most part, they're really nice. I really like the cover art for like the chapters as well, because one of my favorites is the one where Raymond and Marisa are watching a meteor shower together gay right yeah and the cover art is just marisa literally sitting in Raymo's lap and Raymo's just kind of holding her and they're just looking at the stars together and it's really good it's cute it is shout out to the ending of simpho gear <laughs> <laughs> don't spoil me i haven't caught up it's gay you'll know when you get that's there that's all it's gay i think that's another shot on the drinking game <laughs> <laughs> obscure reference to show that only two of the podcasters watch i'm kind of there i'm in the middle of it oh so four of us watch it <laughs> i've watched the first season i'm waiting until one of my girlfriends has more time free to watch the second season with her okay so and this joke fell that, completely no flat on its face <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe it well at least only two of us have finished it yeah yeah um, yeah so, so I have watch a question. It. Why do Raymo and Marisa, and I guess other people, refer to Rinosuke as Corin sometimes? Like, I know his shop is called Corin, though. Oh, it's a nickname based on his shop. Oh, okay. Is that just it? I think it's Marisa for the most part. Does anyone else do that? It's mostly Marisa, yeah. Does Sumireko do that? I think Sumireko might have stolen the idea from Marisa. Yeah, Marisa definitely started it because Rinosuke used to work under Marisa's dad. Yeah, this is sort of... Cola is the source of like a lot of background information for Reimu and Marisa as characters. Especially Marisa because Reimu sort of doesn't background. Yeah, Reimu's still a bit of an enigma. Yeah, Reimu just like appeared out of thin air. Cryptid. She's still a bit of an enigma, but Marisa gets a lot of backstory in Cola. Marisa's backstory is that she's gay and hates her dad. Yeah, basically. Those might be related and they might not. Yeah. Unlike what the wiki says. <laughs> yeah, personally, <laughs> my headcanon is that they are related and she just kind of ran away from home because she's gay. That's very valid of you. But, you know, there is a part where, like, Rinosuke is apparently still on speaking terms with Marisa's father, or at least they see each other occasionally. Uh, somebody had the absolute galaxy brain take that Rinosuke and Marisa's dad are dating. Mm. <laughs> 
but, but I don't know how I feel about that one yet. It's an amazing idea, but it kind of clashes with everything else I like about him. I don't think Rinosuke is capable of dating. Yeah, it would be really hard for me to like Rinosuke if he was dating Maurice's dad. Yeah. Yeah, Rinosuke's taste in men cannot be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... There's basically like a conversation they have where Rinosuke kind of brings up Marisa's father and she just like flat out tells him, I'm never going back. Obviously doesn't want to really talk about him or sort of the circumstances of why she left home. It's a private matter and the narrative doesn't pry too much into it. It just sort of indicates it's something that Marisa has very strong feelings about and doesn't want to address right now. And it's valid for her. Yeah. Hmm. I like how the narrative validates her and that it doesn't like roast her. Yeah. We are all hate Maurice's father. Marisa, handshake emoji, me hating fathers. Yeah, basically we don't get a lot about them, but what we do get doesn't sound too good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also, in terms of backstory, there's like the brief mention that like Renosuke at least claims to know the truth about the Hakure Shrine and its god, yeah. but... Since this is Rinosuke we're talking about... He probably knows something, but he probably doesn't know the whole truth. He probably thinks that the something he knows is everything. Yeah, he might just have some crazy idea about it, but it doesn't really get explored a lot, but he's old. Yeah, he's like a hundred years old or something like that. Old man. The way he talks about it, he's either like spent a bunch of time in the outside world... Which he, pro- which he has, and he was absolutely terrified when he did end up in the outside world. Yeah, or he's actually older than Gensokyo as well, as in from the 1800s. Yeah, so not old, old like Yukari or Aya yeah. or something, but still like over 100 years old. Yeah, I mean, probably like decently old, even for Yokai. Wasn't he like Marisa's dad's apprentice, or is that a fever dream of mine? Yeah. Yes, that's true, but that doesn't. He wasn't necessarily a shopkeeper all that time. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if he was Marisa's dad's apprentice, he was probably pretty young when he was being an apprentice. Well, or young passing. Yeah, and he isn't young passing now, so he probably wasn't young passing like 50 years ago if he was over 100 years old. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that he was an apprentice to Maurice's father because by all accounts he is older than Maurice's father, although obviously probably doesn't look it. Because he's just kind of portrayed as like a handsome anime twink. (laughs) Yeah. I like that he's like, basically all of his depictions are the like default anime fin, but the the weird fanny pack he's always wearing kind of adds like an illusionary dad bod to him. The thing is, it's simultaneously a dad bod thing and, like, a, an increased twink energy thing. Right? Like... That's why he's the ultimate twink. <laughs> I mean, the whole apprentice thing kind of makes me wonder if he's had, like, this, like, Donald Duck-esque backstory of trying a dozen different careers. <laughs> I think he's always aspired to be a shopkeeper, and he never had the chance to. And then Maurice's dad took him on as an apprentice, and he was really excited about it. And that's why he keeps Horindo open as a shop, even though he hates, like, actually selling any of his hoarded garbage. Yeah, and it was mentioned that he, or I think it was at least from Maurice's perspective, like, she had the impression that the reason Corin started his own shop was because um, his ability was wasted on the boring stuff being sold in her dad shop. Yeah. Reese's dad shop sells absolutely no magic. No magic allowed. Yeah, that's another thing. The other speculation about why Marisa ran away from home probably has to do with the fact that Marisa's dad's 
shop does not dabble in magic of any kind and like refuses to deal with it. My speculation as to why Marisa ran away from home was she's gay, trans, and magical. Because who names themselves Marisa? Who puts the kanji ma in their name if they're not a magical person? And more in particular, like, there's definitely no way that her name was written like that by her dad because her family has been pretty not big on the whole magic thing. Yeah. It would be cute if Mima gave her her new name. It would. Mm. I think that it's really sexy to think of her as just having abandoned her former humanity, but gained a new humanity in being Marisa. That is an interesting take, considering sort of her character arc, or not character arc. Character premise, really. Yeah, her sort of struggle with whether she wants to abandon her humanity or not. And it also offers sort of a really interesting reason for why she might not want to abandon her humanity, because it's something that... It's her own. Yeah, she chose it for herself. I like it. That's a good thought. And also she's a non-binary trans woman. I will not budge on this. I will not change this gender. I uh, just live in the woods (laughs) (laughs) and wear frilly dresses. Yeah, you're extremely That is her gender. Gender lives in the woods and wears frilly dresses. Yeah. There are two genders, lives in the woods and lives in the cave. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the latter. But I also wear frilly dresses. Nice. I wish I had frilly dresses. I can sew you one. Oh my god. Please do. It'll take like six years, but I can sew you one. (laughs) Do you take commissions? Uh, I guess. (laughs) I can't take commissions for a while, though, because... I'd need to not have $2,200. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll start this out later. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, So, while sorts of, you know, financial transactions and such are going on, let's get back to our shopkeeper. Do we want to put the Marisa people's interactions with their humanity stuff as, like, maybe a docket for a later episode? That would be really cool, actually. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. Because we sort of talked about the border of human and yokai, but that we was didn't... much more about a what's a yokai than what's a human and how do humans look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't really finish the topic in a sense. Being human is like having a gender. For suckers. I will not elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it really yes, is. Yes, it's for suckers and... Fake? I don't have either of those. Also, all yokai are non-binary. This is definitely like a really ripe topic for a future episode. Gender. <laughs> Gender and Toho would also be a really interesting episode, I think. We're gonna, like, wrap up all of the, like, plot discussion ones, and then we're just gonna get really, really just into deep metaphysical commentary on, like, everything in Toho, and I'm I'm very excited about that. And then after we're done with all of that, we'll do an embodiment of Scarlet Devil episode. (laughs) 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 Yes. An interesting thing about Cola, I think, is that... So, Rainbow and Marisa are clearly children in it. Like, they're very obviously kids. Turbo baby. Yeah, like... I think that Curiosities of Lotus Asia is sort of set around the time of Perfect Cherry Blossom, really. Rather than, like, in the actual real-time events of its release date. Yeah, definitely, because... As opposed um, to, like, most of the later manga. I agree with this, especially because of Yukari's prominence in Kola, which we have yet to talk about, but we'll get to it. Yukari's just in Kola to be ominous and bother people. Yeah, and scare Rinosuke. Like she does in every work she's in. 
Yeah, but even though Rima and Reese are clearly kids in this, they are depicted drinking, which sort of Zun has strayed away from in later Toho works where they're actually old enough to drink. Because of Japanese laws on portraying minors drinking, yes. Which are actually pretty recent. But also, I think the ages, I think, in early works were less of a conscious thing on Zun's part. And it was just like, oh, I will write these people being baby. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And they sort of, they've become very retroactively baby, too, as he's written them growing up. Yeah, because they're just very jaded old ladies now. Yeah. (laughs) Or jaded (laughs) 30-year-olds. I mean, you can just assume that they're drinking juice or something. No, they're very much drinking sake. (laughs) No. They're drinking a fine glass of dubbed Dragon Ball juice. I'm thinking specifically of this one chapter where they grill a bunch of mushrooms together and Marisa poisons Rinosuke. (laughs) Because Marisa just eats poisonous stuff all the time, which is one of my favorite character details about her. Gender lives in the woods. Drinks poison. It's a running joke in Toho that she, like, makes food for people out of poisonous, like, mushrooms or poisonous whatever. And they're usually fine. Unless she tells them that it's poison. Yeah, or they're like, hang on, hang on a minute, isn't this poisonous? And she always just goes, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. And it's a really good running joke, I like it a lot. I think it adds something to Maurice's character. They always end up fine because she is actually a really good cook. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, growing up in the woods eating mushrooms will... You will either survive or you will be a bad cook. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) not everyone can cook the poison out of a salad. (laughs) Yeah. I like to think that that was at least lightly braised. <laughs> she just like blanched the whole thing or something. But yeah, so I think the thing that I like the most about Cola is just the characterization that develops in the sort of small moments where characters like either interact or the beats between them saying things and reacting to them. It's a really, really solid resource for characterization of specifically Raymond and Marisa and also Rinosuke and various other characters. That's what I appreciate the most about it. And I think it reflects on Rinosuke's perspective being a particularly observant one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long as he's not actively trying to figure something out. Yeah, if he's not attempting to sound cool, he actually does sound cool. Yeah, he spends a lot of time sort of internally thinking about the events of the stories and still being somewhat condescending in his own internal narrative. It's got a way different tone than like any other Toho work, I think, in terms of sort of like framing and perspective. I think that part of that is the fact that he is the only male character with a perspective in Toho. Yeah, and it just so happens that the only male perspective in Toho is just an absolute dumbass who keeps explaining everything. It doesn't need to be explained. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that Zun made the only male perspective in Toho, like, just kind of a mansplainer who gets dunked on. <laughs> I feel like that was probably a conscious decision, because he has done some interviews where he's sort of talked about, he was sort of asked questions about why women are the driving force in Toho and stuff like that, and he never, like, actually went into detail about it, but he did talk about, like, he said something along the lines of, like, boys wouldn't be interested in Damaku or something like that, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Yeah. I'd, I'd I'd have to go back to that interview. Maybe we'll do it for our gender episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that it's mentioned with Renaske that even though he's half yokai, he's really either not, or probably both, not interested and not competent in any kind of fighting or 
anything rough in his own words. Yeah, he's very much a wimpy nerd who wants to be left alone and yeah. can't fight. I'm gonna show him into a locker. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got some like yokai physique things like what did he doesn't really need to eat, he just like drinks tea and eats some nuts maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he eats for the aesthetic. Yeah. Just like Alice. Which I suppose is kind of convenient for being a shardin who never leaves the house. Yeah, he doesn't have to go shopping and see people. Yeah. yeah, but he does if he needs to maintain his appropriately pretentious accessories. Mm. <laughs> like, he's not going to get caught sipping on an empty cup. Yeah. <laughs> so I think aside from Reimu and Marisa and Rinosuke and Sumiraka a bit, hopefully more in the future, when's the next Strange Cow coming out? And that'll probably like talk about double-dealing character characters, but also it'll have another chapter of... The double-dealing character characters? Yes. <laughs> the double, double, dealing, dealing, character, character, characters. <laughs> double, double, talk. I'm going to stop this bit right now before it gets out of control <laughs> and uh, well. just say we'll have another Ecola chapter then. Going off the pattern, it'll probably be a little bit Wily Beastie. Oh, that'll be interesting. Will it be weak in creature, either? Because I know we had, like, Sumiriko getting herself possessed as the tie-in for... Sumiriko doesn't need to get possessed by the eagle spirit. She's already an exemplar of its attitude. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I want to see how Sumiriko reacts to the drama going on in Gensokyo right now. I want to see Sumiriko talk about the Yakuza. <laughs> That would actually be really interesting. I want to. What's her own sort of take on the outside world yakuza as her like reference point for the animal yakuza? But aside from those characters, I think the character who gets the most development in Cola is Yukari in a really interesting way. Like she doesn't really ever show up as a character who spends much time speaking or like even has on-screen appearances. Yeah, she has like two on-screen appearances. That's yeah, it. she basically appears early on to sort of... Scare Vinosuke to death and also yeah. save him from being in the outside world. Yeah, she scares him quite a bit. He's kind of afraid of her. Um, Rightly so. Yeah, so she just comes by occasionally and gives him like fuel for his space heater, which is like maybe his most prized possession. Because it keeps him warm in winter. Yes. Actually, I really wish I had a space heater right now. It's like 50 degrees in my house. Me too. It's gotten quite cold lately, hasn't it? Um, yeah. I don't want to turn on the heat because of the heating bill. It's literally snowing here, so... Oh, God. Okay. Oh, I'll be honest. This is the first time in my life that I actually thought about space heater as in a heater used to warm a space. Because <laughs> I've always thought it was like... The kind of same idea as, as like a space blanket, kind of. Me too. Like, I think if English is your second language, maybe like that's just a thing where you like, you hear space heater and... You hear space and you think of outer space. Yeah. Yeah. And like space heater is like a cool piece of technology. It's made of pipes and stuff. Like you <laughs> associate it with space, right? Like outer space and space stations and that kind of thing. Mm. I wonder if they have any space heaters on the ISS. Probably. Probably not, because if you're in space, you're only losing heat by radiation, primarily. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have a lot more coming in from the sun, I feel like, than... Yeah, I have the impression that most spacecraft actually has to focus on venting heat somehow. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame that you don't have space heaters in space. Anyway, we were supposed to be talking about Yukari, weren't we? Yeah. yeah uh, I do have to go, though, so I'll uh, talk to you all later. Okay. Exeunt pursuit. Buy a new way. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a... Buy Dapped. A...
Anyway, Yukari's. Like, aside from the incidences where she shows up to give Rinosuke more fuel for his space heater or steal a Game Boy, collect his, like, various, like, game consoles because Yukari is a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) Yukari just wants to play Kirby. Yeah. Who are the gamer Tohos? We've got Yukari, Sumireko, probably. Sanae. Sanae, definitely. She knows what a Pikachu is. I feel like Sega. (laughs) Sega. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Sega is out there like playing Fortnite and dunking on 12 year olds with just extreme violence (laughs) she's named after video games she has the ym26112 sound chip installed into her pc (laughs) because that's the one they used on the sega genesis oh my god (laughs) that is such an obscure joke and i can't believe i'm saying that so like you've, you've stolen my prize my beloved uh, obscure joke hat. I'm sorry, my grandpa worked at NEC. Me, you're too powerful. <laughs> NEC is, of course, the people who make the PC-98. Who else would be... Okay, Renko is also a gamer in Toho. I think beyond those, it's mostly, like, spiritual gamers. Like, who would be a gamer if given the chance? Yeah. I feel like Marisa would definitely be a gamer if you gave her a Nintendo Switch. Definitely. Marisa plays Fire Emblem. <laughs> I'm Marisa Stan's Edelgard. <laughs> she actually really would, wouldn't she? Yeah. Aside from those instances, like, Yukari comes up a lot in Cola, but it's always, like, other characters sort of talking about her or speculating about her. She named the constellations for the Yukari, apparently. Yeah, it's implied that she's the one who came up with the constellation names. Not in Gensokyo for yokai period, because the armillary sphere that they have with her as the author is older than Gensokyo. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yeah. So yeah, for yokai in general. How long have armillary spheres been around in Japan? Uh, good question. I would have no idea. Because <laughs> they started as an Arabic thing, I believe. Yeah. So... Did, like, yokai travel to the Arab Empire? I... Y- y- Yukari breaking into the House of Wisdom and stealing an armillary <laughs> sphere to write her own name on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that... I think it's more likely that it would be, like, trade with Persia to China to Japan. No, like, no. that kind of thing. That's boring. <laughs> Parsi Mizuhashi brings everything with her. Yeah. She just has a giant bag full of artifacts from various parts of the Western world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that first one is not canon. <laughs> the Yukari burgles the greatest uh, university of the Islamic culture. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty great that she's, like, naming them after her friend. Yeah. is <laughs> just like, I'm gonna name this one after Suika. And I'm gonna name this one after the celestial dragon, who I want to date someday. I'm gonna <laughs> name this one. <laughs> My favorite part about that chapter is that... It's the reason that Marisa ended up starting doing her star magic, isn't it? Yeah, that she's very inspired by the meteor shower and astronomy and all that. And that obviously influences her quite deeply. But also, when Rainbow and Marisa discover that Yukari's name is on the armillary sphere, they're like, ugh, she made this armillary sphere? Whatever. And just, like, stop caring about it and just completely <laughs> lose interest in it. They're just so annoyed with her. Meanwhile, 
Rinosuke over here is like quietly panicking because he is thinking like she didn't make the armillary sphere, but she made the constellations or like named the constellations at yeah. least. Yeah, it's author, not creator. Yeah, and he's gotten, you know, very afraid of what this means for how long Yukari's been around and like her the scope of her power or whatever and all of Old that. Old lady. Yeah, and then there's another very interesting chapter which is about Kari's name. Rinosuke, Reimu, and Marisa kind of speculating about the hidden meaning of Yukari's name. Or rather, Rinosuke condescendingly teaching them about it. Mm -hmm. Or what he thinks it is, but... Yeah, it's his own theory. But I think that it could be plausible. It definitely holds up. I mean, if it wasn't obviously naming herself after Lovecadio Hearn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, she could also do that and also have this, like, layered hidden meaning to it. Yukari names herself, like, 20 layers of symbolism because she's just the most pretentious person on planet Earth. Yeah, if anyone's into hidden layers of meaning, it's definitely Yukari. I think all of the sages are to some extent, except maybe Kasen. Kasen has a shirt that says, Subtlety is important, but big biceps are importanter. Kasen has the shirt that's like, I'm with incomprehensibly pretentious, and then Yukari and Okina are over there wearing shirts with like, I'm incomprehensible. Vaporwave imagery on them. <laughs> Since you mentioned left cardio, I, I'm stuck with this mental image of, imagine the meltdown that Renasuke would have if he came across any kind of material about Koizumi Yakumo. Oh my god. <laughs> he would just be like, Yukari is a guy too? <laughs> Um, I mean, even the sheer mention of the name would probably send him across a cliff. Yukari just leaves Koizumi Yakumo's books and a fake beard sitting on Renosuke's <laughs> desk one day. Of course she doesn't need to wear the fake beard to do that. She just, it's entirely because she thinks it's funny. Yeah. I, yeah. I do wonder, though, if, like, coming across just historical records of Koizumi Yakumo, I have to wonder if would anyone even like notice or be phased by it? Because like, unless they realize that Yukari's old name is Maribel Harn, then they probably wouldn't make any such connection and it would just be like, huh, same name. Yeah, but this is specifically like Renasuke was talking about. He's paranoid about everything. He does have a tendency to spiral out of control and start panicking a little bit. Get this man some fantasy Prozac. (laughs) He does know that Yukari used to have a different name. Yeah, so he's just going to be like, it's all connected. Ah! It's that one always sunny screen tab, but it's Renosuke and there's the sages in the background. Yeah. The other thing about the chapter where they discuss Yukari's name, which is chapter 26, uh, the night the storm clouds rolled in, Renosuke's interpretation of like the poem about uh, of Susano's poem is like clearly wrong even though they maybe hit on something about like the meaning of it and maybe part of Yukari's name is in fact taken from this poem and sort of inspired by it the poem has some sort of significance to Yukari his interpretation of it is something like it's focused on the Hakurei shrine and what it means for the shrine instead of really thinking about what the poem means to Yukari as the creator of Gensokyo. Though, to be fair, the Hakurei Shrine is basically Yukari's main responsibility. It's just basically, okay, I need to keep this thing in line, and then I can chill and watch TV all day. I can watch Semphigure all day. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, she realized that Semphigure would exist, like, 
210 years in advance. <laughs> she just smuggles all her Blu-rays from the future. <laughs> Is there anything else we have to say about Koa? I think we sort of covered all of the main beats. Yeah, like we haven't really talked about like our favorite little minor bits or anything like that. But I think that's one of those things Like you really have to read Cola to experience it for yourself. Yeah, all of the text of it is on the Toho wiki, so please read Cola. Yeah, despite us fully flaming the Toho wiki earlier, like you can read all of Curiosities of Lotus Asia translated on it. Maybe not accurately yeah. necessarily, but it's a pretty decent translation. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. It's more accurate than Symphonium. Yeah, it's valuable for accessing primary sources. It's pretty much, because it's not like there's new translations being made. It's pretty much the best you can get for any primary source in English. Mm-hmm. Just please don't use it as a secondary source. Yeah, yeah. please. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at the Cola translation over there, and I think it's definitely one of the better translated pinpoint works yeah. on there. I think that whoever translates Cola actually has some cursory knowledge of Gensokyo. Wow, consider that. Who did the translation? I mean, it's uh, obviously multiple people doing it over time. And I know that yeah. Klarsty has been doing one of some of the later ones, for instance. Shout out to Klarst, friend of the show. Shout out to Klarst. You have good opinions sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and are obviously the workhorse of the fandom, so... Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Klarst for translating almost all of Wild and Torn Hermit. And most of Forbidden Scroll. Yeah, single-handedly yeah. saving Western Toho fandom from bad translations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, although perhaps some people who remember the Dago fiasco might disagree, but they're wrong, so don't listen to they're them. They're wrong. The people who got salty about Dago have already been mad about like 9,000 things we've said in this podcast. Yeah, Definitely. I was about to say the people who get salty about Dago got saltier by 10,000 times about us saying fuck the police earlier in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> to say nothing of using the word gender. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, so like I really do recommend reading Curiosities of Lotus Asia for yourself. It's quite long, uh, so you may have to set aside some time or just like read a chapter at a time. Whatever works for you, but I can't stress enough like how great it is at just like sort of really small interpersonal moments that really give a lot of character to, well, the characters in the story. There's just so many very good small moments. It's good. Yeah, I I didn't even bother to compile them to talk about on the show because I was just mostly interested in sort of talking about the overarching meaning of it and Rinosuke as a character. And I think that a lot of the character moments, and I sort of was getting at this earlier with it being like a stationary setting, it's relevant to specific characters in ways that aren't necessarily suited for a general purpose episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we'll be talking about Kola a lot if we ever do, like, a Sakuya episode or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's just basically exposition. Yeah. Except about Rinosuke, and you can get the gist of Rinosuke from reading about two chapters of it. Yeah. No offense to Rinosuke, but you are... You have stupid disorder. (laughs) Also, shout out to the unnamed yokai girl who appears in chapters one and two of Cola, who has a like $90 anime figure of her on sale at my local Kinokuniya. Who goes by Tokiko in the fandom. Yeah, she's named Tokiko by the fandom. Like, Shout out to all the fans of those like 
Other than Daiyose and Koakuma fans who are uh, insufferable about it. Shout out to the person who wrote an enormous Tokiko fic and it was the best thing I read all year, even though she has like three lines. Oh my god. Shout out to fans of minor characters who don't insist minor characters are important and just appreciate them as... Yeah. Y'all are doing things that... Like, my puny brain can't comprehend. Yeah. You know, why haven't any of the Forbidden Scroll Reminder characters gotten names? Even the unnamed fox kid. Because they're in the mangas, and they're not uniquely, like, because most of the time Cola doesn't have unnamed characters. Whereas Forbidden Scrollery has a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uniqueness factor. But, I mean, the thing about the unnamed Yoka girl, aka Tokiko, is that... She may only have a couple lines, but they actually say a lot. You're not right. Yeah, exactly. She's an interesting character, and you kind of want to see more of her. But yeah. unfortunately, you only see more of her on future covers of Curiosities and Lotus Asia. Yeah. Of Lotus Asia. It's in the chat for Tokiko. Well, while we're paying our respects, is there anything else anyone wants to say about Cola? Because or... I feel like that's a decent segue. I like the chapter where they drink Cola. I think we're done. How meta. <laughs> F in the chat for Sumiriko during the Antinomy of Common Flowers episode. Sumiriko hasn't earned my respects. <laughs> she gets one respect. Just yeah. I'm not paying her respect, I'm paying her respect. Let me press a single F on the world's smallest keyboard. <laughs> I'm just going to press a pipe. If she wants to earn the other two bars, she can keep working. <laughs> Do we have any mailbag? No. Unless we want to talk about Shuso Gyoku, which I don't think any of us are equipped to do. That's its own episode, because I'd have to play Shuso Gyoku first. You will not succeed at Shuso Gyoku. <laughs> no, I, I know that. I said play, not succeed at. Yeah, um, but the only Remu and Marisa content is after the hardest stage in the game. Oh, that's unfortunate. I will have to watch someone play <laughs> Shuso Gyoku The first. only uploaded pay- playthroughs are unpatched. Oh my god. I think that Cheat Engine is a good thing that you should use. I kind of wonder if we should at least like address it at some point, that we have the mailbox question. Yeah, we have, we're sitting on some mailbag questions that we uh, are not necessarily using right away or are not equipped to answer right away. If we don't talk about your thing on an episode right away, like we might just be holding on to it. It's not that we don't like it, it's just that we literally have no brain cells. Yeah. I think that just about does it for this episode of Outside World Occultism. Thank you for listening. I don't know what we're talking about next week, but we'll figure it out. We always do. Yeah, we have a bunch of topics lined up. Do we want to do the humans and humanity thing that sort of came up with Marisa earlier? We have either that or Toho Cannonball, but I want to do Toho Cannonball after Toho Cannonball turns into a flop. Yeah, and it'll be it, it would be nice if I don't know when Lost World is coming out, but it would be nice to sort of have Lost like a word. Word. Whatever. Word. Which is really weird. Word. Yeah. There's a name. So, like, it'd be nice if that came out soon so that we could have a episode about both gacha games and compare them. Gacha fight. Gacha fight. We'll do a special gacha jail episode. <laughs> yes. The JT shit posts about Grand Blue Fantasy episode coming to you eventually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me listing my many grievances with mm. Fire Emblem Heroes episode. Maybe we'll talk about Cannonball. Maybe we'll talk about... The nature of humanity. You'll never know what you'll get with us. <laughs> That's just how it is on Outside World of Gossip. Yeah, thank you for listening. See you next week. If you have any questions or want to ask us about 
anything or want us to talk about anything, just uh, hit us up at outsideworldoccultism.tumblr.com and send us an ask, and we will get to it eventually. So look forward to that. (laughs) Time is an illusion. Yes. Indeed. Indeed it is. I think that's it. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.